Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Mike Lynch. Today, we're taking a dive into the metaverse, talking all things esports with Super League Gaming Chairman and CEO, Ann Han. Ann, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. You know, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm kind of that old geezer guy. And thank God for my 17-year-old son who had to school me on what Metaverse was all about. (laughs) Take us through the people who may not know what Metaverse is that are my age, and if you can explain it to them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, if you think about it these days, you know, 46% of Gen Z say they prefer digital hangouts to physical ones. Um, increasingly we're spending more and more of our time in, in a digital world. And the beautiful thing there is is that it's a highly creative world. Um, there's loads of self-expression in it. You can kind of create your aspirational self. But also now what's starting to emerge is, is it's not just a place for self-expression and ways to make friends and build relationships, but it's also becoming a really powerful place for commerce as well. And so we see that that intersection of digital and physical worlds, whether it be for brands, um, retailers, but also just for the individual themselves. The other cool thing about the metaverse is it's totally empowering and democratized. Everybody can produce content in it, whether you're designing cool games that you want to invite your friends in to play or just creating other neat content that you want to share on your social media or other places. So it's this kind of beautiful, empowering world. And I think another powerful way to think of it is is to not almost think of it as something different than your physical life. It's just another form of your world. And if you ask, again, a typical Gen Zer, they don't delineate the difference between their digital and physical selves. Um, it's all kind of one life. Much to the frustration of their Gen X parents who don't quite get what's going on. Um, can you fold in esports into the metaverse? Because we understand esports and we know that it's still early days in esports. So walk us through what that looks like in the metaverse and what it'll look like in, say, one year's time. Yeah. So it's really, uh, you know, first of all, I've, we've been in the area of esports for about five, six years now, and often with investors, I'll say, look, if the word is getting in the way because it sounds like a niche or fad, then then just let's rebrand it. Let's call it competitive video gaming. And what it's really about is the Thank fact Thank you. That, that is so much more clear, by the way. <laughs> yeah. There's 3 billion uh, gamers on the planet. There's about 10,000 or so that are professionals. Um, they're either professional players playing for teams, like just like the players in the NBA are paid full-time salaries, or they're professional influencers, streamers, you know, celebrities in their own right. Um, And they they make their full-time living off of it. What Super League's always been about is empowering that next tier down of like a classic pyramid. And so we're really focused on what we call that avid gamer. 
So that's somebody who plays about eight hours a week of gameplay at least as a floor. Um, but on top of it, they are watching another nine hours or more of gaming-centric content. And in many cases, they are streaming and sharing their gameplay content too as well. So when we talk about esports real specifically, um, what we do in the esports landscape is we give tools to those people in the middle of the pyramid for them to create their own um, gameplay experiences, tournaments for their friends, so they can they can spin up gameplay in leagues. They can also use our tools to stream their competitive video gaming content to all their social channels. And as well, we have a creator economy in it. So as they're streaming their, their eSports gameplay, um, you know, posting highlights to, to their different channels or live streaming, say, on their Twitch and Instagram channel through our tools, if they participate in our ad economy, they can also um, get a share of the revenue. So really at its heart for Super League, you know, we're really um, – we use eSports and, and competitive tournaments – as just one way to engage um, with players, with a community, and to build community. Um, and, and the big kind of crux of the company is we're at the intersection of a creator economy, gaming-centric content in the metaverse. Hi, Ian. This is Mike Lynch up in Boston. So uh, who is your average gamer? Um, I don't know, maybe speak in uh, demographic terms. Yeah, yeah. We really have two core demographics. Um, we talk a lot about our young gamer network, and that is a unique um, foothold that we have. We, in a very safe way, have built, um, owned and operated, and uh, metaverse platforms that speak to millions of under-18 players. Those are predominantly Minecraft players. Up until recently, with an acquisition of a company called Bloxbiz, where we now, in the month of um, October alone, reached um, had access to reach up to 60 million Roblox users, and that's about 30% of all Roblox users. So that under 18 demo, it's it's really kind of the sweet spot is about a 12 to 16 year old. They're an advanced player in in Minecraft and Roblox. Um, they're creating their own gameplay, and again, we believe over time will turn into those up and coming, more competitive, older players and streamers as well. We also run two um, Minecraft-related servers on behalf of Microsoft named Mineville and Pixel Paradise. So we have this really vast reach in that, that young gamer um, demographic. And then we talk about the core gamer. And the core gamer is 18 to 30-year-old. They're playing older titles, um, different types of titles like League of Legends. Um, and they are we're, – we're, we're primarily the way we're reaching that audience is through those – those kind of older type of gamer offerings that we have. So Mob Crush is a suite of tools that they can use for free to multicast their gaming-centric content across all of their social media channels I had mentioned earlier. We have Super League Arena, which is our kind of more heightened esports property and broadcast, um, and things like Framerate, which is our set of owned and operated social channels that um, are where we post highlights from our various players. So, you know, what we do, you know, we're, our reason for being the sun in our universe is the creator, right? It's that mid-tier creator that we're trying to empower. And in doing so, we get to aggregate their audiences and their content. Um, the way we monetize is through the ad model. What we do so uniquely is we can deliver 
advertising units, very engaging um, embedded ad units. I'm not talking about um, slapping a lot of logos into gameplay and interrupting gameplay. I'm talking about very experiential ways we can bring advertisers into the physical game, the, the metaverse, or into the stream, the gaming-centric stream from our influencers streaming their gaming content. So the way we make money is primarily off of that ad model because those very um, premium in-game and in-stream ad units can't be ad-blocked out or cord-cut out. A good example, just to kind of give you a sense of, well, why is this so special and different than a typical ad model? You know, we reskinned a world in a Roblox game for a 10-day campaign for Nickelodeon, who's been one of our longtime advertising partners, and their parent company, Viacom, is also an investor in us. Um, in that 10-day campaign, we transformed a Roblox world into something more akin to um, the themes around SpongeBob um, for a new TV show they had coming out. And in those 10 days, we were um, it created a really cool, exciting gameplay experience for kids inside that world. Um, we reached had 50 million visitors to the game, and if you added up all the gameplay in those 10 days, it equaled about 162 years of gameplay. So when we're talking about that kind of deep engagement that we and an authentic um, way to engage with with a demographic that a brand's targeting, you're talking about 15, 20, 25, $50 CPMs. So it's really a completely different ad model than we've ever really known because the ad model will never be the same again. And so our big insight, aside from the fact that the supremacy of the metaverse and how do you put tools in the hands of everyday content creators, this democratization of content creation, the third leg of the trends that we really kind of drag off of is for all those reasons, the ad model will never be the same. And the place the ad model has moved to is really in this highly democratized, self-produced content. And, the, we, and in our opinion, the place we really kind of differentiate is the way that we are close to where that self-produced content is happening in the metaverse and gaming-centric live streaming. Well, Ann, I'm thinking about this in reverse. Instead of people going on sites to play a particular game like Call of Duty or Fortnite, I'm thinking about it in the metaverse world as an old geezer. Why can't you do like let's play Monopoly or something like that? You know, I call up Scarlett and and I call up Mike and I said, "Hey, uh, I'm the car. Let's go." Can that be done? Absolutely. In fact, that's one of the beautiful things about the the piece of the metaverse that that we speak to is really um, these gaming platforms like Roblox that really, you know, Roblox doesn't serve up a game, you know, a fixed game like Call of Duty or League of Legends. What they give is a set of tools that allow everyday game designers to design inside the parameters of that tool. So Roblox has millions of games inside Roblox. The question then becomes, can you create one that ha attracts, is the most exciting and fun and attracts the most players? But if you think about it, there's really nothing to your point that you can't have an expression of digitally. I'll tell you the most easy example for me. You know, I used to, in my former life, I worked in large cap and used to have thousands of retail sites under my domain um, globally. And, you know, a classic retailer, you know, um, conundrum is always, you know, 
It's all about, you know, like for likes and foot traffic. And I couldn't possibly spin up a digital store because then I'll cannibalize my foot traffic, right? That, you know, and, and it's, it's just a never-ending cycle of constantly trying to, to, to beat those like for likes. Um, you know, if right now, what I would tell the old, you know, the old self of me that used to run all those brands globally for BP, I would now sit her down in a chair and be like, listen, if you don't start thinking about how your brands are going to persistently live in the metaverse, you're missing the boat. And the, here's the reason, the simple example why. You know, right now, if you're in League of Legends, you're a very advanced player, right? That game, I mean, it's like playing chess. Serious layers of strategy and critical thinking. Nobody plays it casually. Um, if you look at the, the typical demo of who plays that game, again, it's that hardcore kind of, you know, 20-something gamer. Um, probably the last target demo that you think is, is strolling down Rodeo Drive walking into Louis Vuitton. And yet, you can buy a Louis Vuitton cape inside League of Legends. Now, why can you do that? Well, you can do it because it's a brilliant move um, for all these luxury fashion brands that you're now seeing getting into, um, getting into digital fashion products. The reason is, is because if I can very affordably buy a $20 cape for my champion that is branded Louis Vuitton, my propensity now to think about having a piece of physical Louis Vuitton in my home, a purse, a wallet, a scarf, what have you, is way likelier. And the thing mm -hmm. is, this is a customer I was never going to probably reach through just my physical it's a um, footprint. And so it completely expands the audience, the reach, again, the accessibility of your brand. Um, that, that notion of a digital-to-physical crossover is a really powerful thing. The other way to think about it is that cape lives forever. You may pull that purse or wallet out once a month, but your relationship to that digital cape is is persistent. And that is powerful, too, because if you can, as a brand, even if your primary business is physical goods, if you can start creating a relationship with new customers in a physical environment, in a digital environment that way, then you're starting to not only reach new people, but you're starting to get into a whole different level of brand affinity or loyalty. Mm -hmm. And so, the, that's that's the fun conversation I'm now having with brands because I'm sitting across from them, and the nice thing is is they know I've I've actually stood in their shoes, I've been on the other side, yeah. And I so enjoy you know you guys have joked about hey, you know, being a Gen Xer. Well, I am. You know, my games are Galaga and and Centipede, right? So <laughs> there you go. He, I love getting to talk to him and say, no, I know, I'm you, I'm really you. And the only thing that separates us is that I've spent the last six years being taken along this journey by a lot of really smart millennial and Gen Z people who get it. Right. And so it's kind of fun to see, I think, the bell starting to ring, just like with esports. But the metaverse is way bigger. And, um, and I do think while it seems a little intimidating, I think brands are starting to really get it. Thank you for explaining that. That actually made it a lot more tangible um, for for old geezers, old Gen Xers like us. You know, hey, when hey, we hey, 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 hey. <laughs> okay, I only speak for myself and Michael Barr here. Um, the metaverse though still feels a bit nichey, um, like yeah. it's cutting edge for 
the Gen Zers, um, certain millennials, those who have time to be gamers or competitive gamers. Morgan Stanley has said that for all that formerly the company formerly known as Facebook, now Meta Platforms and Alphabet may have ventured into the metaverse, in order for it to really take off, to become mainstream, you need a company like Apple to, to jump in there. I want to get your thoughts on that idea. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. I mean, look, I said on our last earnings call, um, you know, hey, I'm not going to complain when Facebook rebrands themselves meta, right? I mean, you know, some crazy stats like the, the, the number of searches, you know, for the word metaverse, I think, in Google in the month of October went up like 18,000% or something. So, you know, certainly for, for companies and stocks like Super League that have been talking about the metaverse, and frankly, we haven't just been talking about it, we've been in it. You know, if you go back the last few scripts of calls, the metaverse has been a drumbeat for us for the last year because of our exceptionally large footprint that we already have inside gameplay metaverses. So I think when it comes to gameplay metaverses, I do think it's a pretty established thing. I mean, Minecraft's been around for 20 years, and it is, you know, the second or third largest game in the world, and it's maintained itself that way. So I think that gameplay metaverses are are somewhat real and tangible, and it just doesn't sound like a lot of hype. I do think, though, the the where it can go, and I think when you when you look at least from what I've read and tried to understand about where Facebook's going, I think it still feels a little blurry mm-hmm. about what do they mean when they say it, and 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 what what does that mean for Facebook and what it will look like? I think that I think that it's a really good point you make, which is the definitions can be super broad about what metaverse can be. And if it's super broad, it's going to take the largest platforms out there all really kind of, I don't want to say working in tandem, meaning that they are integrated. But I do think at a minimum, it should be a core strategy for all of them because we're so dependent on those platforms for all those other parts of our lives. Um, The way that I felt like Zuckerberg talked about a little bit was almost because it was so broad and vast, it almost sounded like everything digitally would be interconnected and that I could be moving throughout all my digital world seamlessly. And to your question, then, that's at the heart of it. Well, that means that we need the Microsofts, the Apples, the Metas all working in tandem and having integrated systems. And, and that's, that would take a lot of time and a big change in strategies for some of those companies. So, Ann, take us around the corner uh, for Super League. What, what's next? Um, is it an all-digital world, uh, the brick-and-mortar days uh, in the rearview mirror? Yeah, you know, we, um, we became kind of a 90-10 digital-to-physical company prior to the pandemic. And we really had to in many ways because of scale. You know, we, 
we we listed you know on Nasdaq you know as a micro cap. We kind of in a way embraced a little bit of the spirit of of um, Nasdaq in the old days, right? It was you know when when like Amazon went public. You know we went public with without a lot of revenue, and it was more about let's let the public investor get the upside instead of staying private. You know, kind of the unicorn model that we're we're so deeply living in these days. And so it really, again, in some ways was true to our brand and our promise to creators. It was about um, putting the tools and the value in the hands of the everyday investor as well. Um, because of that, we knew that we had to be more digitally based, that we, we needed scale. We needed to start showing that first we could deliver some big KPIs, start to get some critical mass on the platform, and that revenue would then follow from that. So... You know, right now we have about 1 million creators making gameplay or, or broadcast off of our tools. We reach about 5 million um, players a month that in our owned and operated properties. And um, this year we'll, we'll eclipse about 10 billion views on our platform. So we're showing that we can reach the creator, the player, and the audience um, with some scale. And the nice thing is, is now we're starting to see some of the revenue kick in. So we delivered about a 400% improvement on revenue in 3Q relative to um, same quarter prior year. Um, as well, I gave a little bit of guidance for 4Q that I expect another jump in revenue. And, and um, I think investors and analysts were, were pleased to hear that news that the, the revenue is starting to track up. We also always said that we would be um, – that core to our model would be um, – in organic growth as well. And so we've completed three acquisitions this year. What I'm most proud of on those is that um, two were small, tuck-in, and accretive out of the gate. The third one was a little bit of a, a larger one, but again, it really gave us some heft. Um, but all three of them were right on the M&A strategy we laid out for investors a year and a half ago. We looked at tons of stuff. And it was powerful to be able to walk away and say, you know what? If we do this deal, it, it may give us a short-term uh, jump on revenues or, or give us a bunch of eyeballs, but it's off strategy. Investors, how do I write the earnings script after we, we, we do that deal? And so I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we've really stayed in a lane that I think is giving us a point of differentiation. So investors should expect to see us continue to do smart M&A um, along with our, our organic growth. I do think we're starting to get to a point where with the types of run rates we're starting to see on revenues, um, things like being profitable um, aren't as far off as they seemed, you know, a year or two years ago, right? So I feel like, while I'm not saying that we'll hit that next year, I do think that we're starting to see um, a path to, to cash flow positive. Also, too, though, I don't think investors expect that of us right now. I think what they've said all along is is that because we're a growth company, deliver the top-line growth and wisely reinvest in scale and whatever it takes for automation to kind of lift that ceiling on the types of revenues you can push through your, your model. As far as the physical goes, we still think it's pretty magical watching people gameplay together in real life. The tech that we've built is location agnostic. It doesn't care if the player's at home or sitting at one of our Topgolf locations or Cinemark Theater locations. And so the beauty is is that, um, and it's all cloud-based. Um, so what that means is is that 
for a retailer to start spinning up their own pop-up esports experiences. They just need to have adequate broadband and a flat screen TV that's internet connected. And so the nice thing is, is the stuff that we've built that's driving our digital experiences right now um, can easily flip back into a retail offer. And we still do some live events. Uh, What I like about it for investors, though, is if we move back to that model, as we expand into it, I really see it more as a technology as a service model, a licensing play, something that has nice margins and that is really hands-off for us, just really putting the tools in the hands of the person who runs that retail location. Hey, and don't let Lynchy fool you. He's in the Pong crowd like the rest of us. And I'm not talking about beer either. I'm talking about the good old-fashioned Pong. And Han, you've been so kind. Uh, Super League Gaming Chairman and CEO, thank you so much for joining us, Han. Thank you. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. Catch us here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. You can find me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at Lynchy WCBB. I'm also on Twitter at Scarlet Foo. And I'm also on Twitter enjoying the Lions win. Oh, I'm sorry. I had to slip that in. Uh, you're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.